This week's Major Spoilers podcast goes out to Anne Hathaway. You can black my cat any day, baby. The Major Spoilers podcast covers news, reviews, and of course, spoilers, and goes into details about the topics discussed. So if you haven't read, listened, or watched the items we talk about, you might want to come back later. I'm Matthew. I'm Rodrigo. And I'm Stephen, and you're listening to the Major Spoilers podcast, the podcast for pop culture and comic fans. This particular issue, Atlanteans, Atlanteans, you border on the Adriatic. Plus, how much rage could a nerd rage rage of a nerd rage enraged nerds? Black Cat Enchanted or Brokeback Spidey? Plus, <laughs> experimenting on your offspring for fun and profit. And another round of crap on Yellow Jacket. Plus, shirtless senior citizens and the women who love them. Two old women taking a weasel on holiday. Griffins shouldn't marry. Vampires don't dance. A man inherits a library card to the library in Alexandria. A rosebush, a nightingale, and a black rubber dog collar. A man who wins 1937 in a poker game. Also, Rodrigo's off to see the wizard to get me a heart, Stephen a brain, and get Victoria back home to Kansas. But you and I, we've been through that, and this is not our fate. So let us stop talking falsely now. The hour is getting late. That means hello, future people. The Major Spoilers podcast is likewise on the air. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another exciting issue of the Major Spoilers podcast. We are indeed on the air. Giving a shout out to all the people who are in the Ustream chat room. We're doing this for those of you that are listening at some point in the future. Shout at the devil! There you go. Uh, since it's being the Thanksgiving week here in the United States, thought that it might be nice to just throw everybody out a little treat as we get ready to go for the big holiday break. But before we get to that holiday break, we've got some news. We've talked before about Cull. We've talked before Attention, about Mrs. Conan. America and all the ships we've about Krull, too. We've talked about Krull, that's true. Krull was cool. I want a glaive. <laughs> I, I had one in the last episode of the Critical Hit Podcast. Yeah. Uh, My wife gave me a pair of rubber glaives for Christmas last year and told me to go wash the dishes. <laughs> <laughs> there is a new Cole movie on the way, apparently. This was uh, through a report on a French website that Paradox Entertainment is going to tackle a new Cole movie. You know what they call it in France? What do they call it? Le Cole. Cool. <laughs> I thought they were going to call it Cole with cheese. You know what they call Conan in France? What? I don't know. I never read any Conan. <laughs> There's no word on when this production is going to begin or who it's going to star. Preferably not, it's Kevin, not, Kevin, Sorbo. not Kevin Sorbo. Did you guys see that Kevin Sorbo? Kevin Smith? Kevin Smith? Kevin Smith? <laughs> <this> call. <laughs> that would be awesome. That would be interesting. By, by this axe, I may or may not rule depending on what anybody thinks about this particular situation. He would probably exactly. make some uh, vagina jokes and, yeah. and wear the And the you could have Jen be. Schwalbach come through as Red Sonja. It'd be beautiful. <laughs> What do you guys think of a new Cole movie? Uh, it's worth a shot, I okay. guess. All right. Uh, I guess my only problem with it is if they're trying to do a Cole movie, they're also trying to do a Conan movie. At the same time? And, and I'm afraid that they're going to try to release them at the same time, and it's just going to confuse people. It's going to be Howard Overload. Well, <laughs> I love that too man. Much Howard Overload. How, <laughs> Howard Turner <laughs> Overload? <laughs> Didn't they do Proud <laughs> Mary? <laughs> Uh, okay. I left a good job in Hyboria, <laughs> working for the man till I chopped off his head. Also up on the Majorspoilers.com website this week is the trailer for the Smallville JSA 
made-for-TV movie, a two-hour movie. Mm-hmm. Did you guys see that? I just want to. I want to yes. take that Hawkman still, and I want to put a balloon above his head. That says, okay, Get so off what's my what, lawn. what's everybody's problem with uh, the Hawkman? It's a fifty-year-old shirtless man wearing a harness, dude. What's yeah, but I mean, wrong? look, open up a comic book. How it's not as any more ridiculous than what you see in the comic book. Well, and that's part of the issue is that some things look good in the comics and some things don't. It's funny that they specifically, you know, Smallville, Smallville, you know, like when they had the the Junior Lifeguard Association or whatever. Like Flash didn't dress up like the Flash. He had right, like a right. little red hoodie, red, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. So. Why break that specifically with what may be the most ridiculously dressed character in the DC universe? Two words. That is mainstream. Two words. Jeff Johns, the writer of well, this particular episode. Well, or two part problem with a JSA story. What's that? I watched early seasons of Smallville, and Smallville seemed to be about a Superman type character in a vaguely real world setting. Right. Mm-hmm. It seemed to be about. A world where the only really out of the ordinary, non real world, quote unquote, air quotes, <laughs> situation that you ran into was the fact that the rocket mm-hmm. and with it some kryptonite came to Earth and caused all this stuff. And now we're retconning in the existence of the Justice Society, presumably in the 40s. Now, this would be yeah. the seven, this one actually is in the 70s, is when they were active. Well, even in, so, in you have to think yeah. that. Yeah. The Justice Society, mm-hmm. Green Lantern, Hawkman, Dr. Fate. They're all in these there. These characters being active might make some small change to the universe as we know it to where maybe it wouldn't have been so strange or shouldn't have been so strange well, yeah, when mean, Tom Welling Prime and all of his friends started getting superpowers. Why is it so freaky that Tom Welling Prime has superpowers if Green Lantern was active during the Carter administration? Exactly. Now you're telling me that there's a president for this. Yeah. yeah. Not yeah. only that. If so why why that- does he hide it? I mean, why why the the whole angst of oh, what should I do with my powers? What should I not do with my powers? If there's crazy, there's guys who conceal their identities and do crazy yeah. stuff in costume. Maybe that's what it's leading 30 up years to. Years ago. Maybe that's what it's leading well, up to. The point is, at some point, they stopped being the Justice ago. Society. Well, why? Well, that's what we have to tune in and find out. Oh, but, oh, oh, oh. You I know, the trailer. Nixon. The trailer, and that might be the answer right there. The trailer looks pretty awesome because, well, you don't see Hawkman in that trailer, but you do see Sandman. Yeah. You do see Dr. Fate. You do see a Green Lantern ring, although I I think he's not called, if I remember from the other news reports that I read, he's not going to be called Green Lantern. I think he's just going to be called Alan Scott. Same way with The Flash is only going to be called Jay Garrick. Mm -hmm. But uh, the trailer looks pretty interesting. Why would they call him The Flash? Probably because they're trying to build a Flash movie at the same time. Well, and they already had a The Flash. Right. And they did call him Flash, right? Uh, No, no, they did not. Yeah, they called him Impulse. The toys called him Flash. Yeah. The toys toys called him Flash, but the the name Flash, to my knowledge, was never used. No, I don't think it was either. And in fact, they never really discovered his name because uh, at one point, Clark goes in and finds all these false driver's license. Uh, or stolen driver's license, one that says Barry Allen, one that says Jay Garrick, and one of them that says Bart Allen. Nice. His name was Bart, though, I believe, in the show. So They called him Bart. Yeah. Another thing that bothers me is if you're bringing into existence the entire JSA, that entire spectrum of superhumanity, why are we letting Superman dress up as fucking Batman? 
Why is Superman playing Batman if there was a Hawkman and an Atom and a Sandman and a Green Lantern yeah, and a specifically, Flash? Specifically, if if there was a a Sandman, you know, or if there was a, or a Doctor Midnight, right. if they're gonna bring him in, right? I, mm. I I know that there's a not a Star Girl, but there will be a Star Boy in there. A Star Spangled Boy. Kid. Yeah, Star Spangled Kid. That's who it is. Sorry, Star Boy. Fair play. Is, Dude, is my nerd rage today? just nearly knocked you over. Oh, Star Spangled well, Kid. Whatever. Hey, Sylvester Howard Pemberton. If you want to find out, if, if you want to find out all these questions, you're going to have to tune into the CW on January 22nd. <laughs> I like CNW and R and B, and me and the chimpanzee agree. What do you guys think of this uh, this bit of this story? It's actually an old story, <laughs> but it resurfaced this week thanks to some company that was launching a translator. Where 15 years ago, this dad decided, hey, here's an interesting novel experiment. What happens if any time I'm around my newborn son for like the first two or three years, I speak nothing but Klingon to him? Mm-hmm. Now, the report doesn't say if, uh, if his mother spoke English or if the kid went to daycare. But any time that the kid was around the father, only Klingon. And the kid learned a little Klingon, mm-hmm. but then now speaks English and uh, supposedly... Uh, functions normally in society. Mm. What do you think of that? Matthew, you're a dad. I'm a dad. I am. I, I think he... that... The, I, I'm of two minds of it. Okay. Because the analytical side of my personality, you know, the 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 person that I was in 1992, 93, when you knew me, looked at that and went, oh, that's, that's kind of cool. You know, when you think about it, the process is interesting. And... From a sociological perspective, from, you know, a language, a, a, a communication perspective, it's a fascinating thesis. It's I would a agree with you. Process. I would agree with from you. From the perspective of Molly's daddy, um, I've already earned us the adult tag. Fuck this guy. That, I mean, that is way, way, way beyond. And I understand, yes, it's only dad doing it. And it was for the first three years and it was kind of to prove a point, but that child, any child grows up believing that what happens in your house is normal. And we all had that moment where we realized that our family is just as screwed up as anybody else. But to take your child's... First first you realize that your family screwed up. It's not until much later that you realize that that every family is screwed up. Yes. Yes. But for that child, he's going to be five, six, and seven. And he's going to realize that maybe nobody else, you know, had any idea what was going on. And it, there are going to be times, I know for a fact, that I still use phrases right. that my mother used when I was a tiny boy. Right. My mother would used to say that we were going to have bakey taters for supper. And to this day, 38 years old, I will still say sometimes we're going to eat bakey taters for supper. Because that's what Davida said when I was a baby. And those mm-hmm. were the formative years of my life. If that kid grows up. And, you know, every time he gets threatened, he's kaplach. Right. He's his ass kicked on a regular basis. From the perspective of a parent, it seems like a pretty irresponsible, it, not even so much irresponsible, but just kind of a a, a fatuous thing to do. You yeah, know? It, yeah, the- it's, a, it's a cute experiment, and, and I, like, I like the thought process behind it, but as with any, any type of experiment like this, you've got to be very careful. When you put this together, not for no right, reason, right? Do you it's have to certainly. submit your thesis, and you have to submit, you know, the the specific right. information around your thesis and any experiment to prove your thesis? It all has to be very, you know, very strongly 
Well, Monitor, there was nothing. It has to be. Yeah, there was nothing that ever said that he did this for his thesis. Now, his PhD was in linguistics, which was pretty much what he was. Uh, actually, it was com- uh, computational linguistics, but it was at the same time that his son was born, which is what he did this. I don't know if he ever published anything with this. Now, certainly, if you ever went before uh, one of the um, ethics boards at a, at a university when you're trying to get your any kind of human study done and said, hey, I'd like exactly. to take a human subject and only speak Klingon to this this subject for the first three years of its life, the committee would veto that quicker so than you, so, yeah. that would be so unethical to do that. It's kind of like yeah. uh, there was a study, The one of the reasons why they wanted to do some of these ethical committees in universities is there was somebody who wanted to take a newborn baby and put it in an ISO chamber for like oh. the first year of its life just to see what would happen to it. And at that point, people said, hey, wait a minute, These, this is a human being and stepped in. And that's how we kind of have some of these uh, ethics committees. If I remember correctly, I may be thinking of another story someone told me, but the point is still the same where you don't want to mess with your kid. I mean, I'm, I have a feeling that my son is going to be messed up enough when people learn his just ne- sharing name. Just sharing the Schleicher gene pool is well, going that's, to yeah. enough. But that's the thing. We are all going to damage our children. Well, and that's the cool part. The, we are know. all going to damage our children. <laughs> I realized this today when I, I was dealing with a grown woman, you know, 27 years old, but she's a daddy's girl, and I'm big and tall and loud, so she responds to me like I'm daddy. So I use that to get right. her to do what I want her to do. Right. You know, there's going to come a point where Mason and Molly and any theoretical little, uh, let's say Rodrigo's going to name his child Ricardo. Any little Ricardos or Lucy's down the line, you know, those children are going to be screwed up just by having us as a parent. I feel like to intentionally go in and say, I'm going to experiment, I'm going to do this to see what happens it's, I mean, it's just not right. It's kind me, of, it's on the, it, yeah, on the one hand, it's kind of novel because I think it, he realized that it really wasn't working. If the kid was, yeah. my my biggest problem when I read that is, my God, my son goes to preschool, and if my kid only knows Klingon, that certainly is going to retard his um, social interaction skills. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And, and that's just, that to me just was bothersome. But apparently the good part of the story is the kid's now 15, 16, is in high school, Functions normally, doesn't remember any of the Klingon. And nobody and, uh, cares about his eyebrow ridges. <laughs> yes. Exactly. And, but somehow he's a big Star Trek fan, so there now, you go. This brings up a question that I think Rodrigo and I have touched on before. You grew up in a household where you, when you were a kid, when you were like three, four, five, was it a bilingual household? Not mine. No. Mine? No, Rodrigo. Rodrigo when, I was, when I was younger, we spoke exclusively in Spanish. Actually, okay. we still do. Do yes. you? Rodrigo's mother called like two weeks ago. Yeah. And only in Spanish. Yeah. Do you speak, uh, when you think, do you think in a certain language or do you think more in conceptual and then translate it into the language you want to speak? Um, it depends. If I'm speaking in, obviously, you know, as, as thoughts, really as, right. as, as speech forms in my head, if I'm speaking in Spanish, I think in Spanish. If I'm speaking in English, I think in English. And okay. for certain things, I will usually think in, in English or Spanish. Depending on what it is, like uh, numbers, I always think in Spanish. Really cool. Right. So that you know that does bring up a question of if that child successfully imprinted in Klingon, let's say the child you know learned enough Klingon to where certain concepts, certain you know conceptual realities to him, the Klingon word is the one that he knew first, and that's his reality. You've now created a situation where this poor kid is going to have to translate in his own brain, or he's going to have to you know rewire and relearn stuff 
in order to try and figure out what's going on. So I will say that my son, for him, uh, is in a somewhat trilingual house in that he's being exposed to uh, Spanish and Thai and English. And so you we'll see what Spanish? happens. What's that? You speak Spanish? My wife does. She's, she's tri- trilingual. Oh, cool. Yeah. And I speak a little Kryptonian, so, you know, that kind of yeah. works in there, too. So, yeah. anyway, how about, how, about, how, about we all speak, how about we all speak a little Italian? Mamma mia, Anna Hathaway as a black cat. Oh, no, it's the Papa. <laughs> what are we going to do? Uh, oh, no, oh, no she's going to wear a tight leather outfit. Nikki, oh, Nikki Fink. Nikki Fink has a lot of insider information, and she's uh, pretty uh, well-respected as a gossip person in Hollywood. Kind of uh, has been passing around information that her insiders are telling her that Anne Hathaway is up for a role in the upcoming Spider-Man 4 movie, oh, but it's not going to replace, uh, what's her name? Kristen Dunst? Yes, Snaggletooth as has Mary she, Jane. Has she signed up for it again? Uh, no, I don't think so. I don't. Hmm. So that leads to the question as, what's the next female that you could put in there? Could you put uh, Ron Howard's daughter back as, uh, as um, what's her name? Gwen Stacy. Gwen Stacy, or... Is this well, really an Steven, opening for Anne she Hathaway? She has to die sometime. I know. Or is Anne Hathaway going to be Black Cat? No one knows, but there is speculation that she'd be Black Cat. What I'm not sold on the idea. she's Jessica Drew or any other Spider-Man? Well, that would be woman. interesting. That would be interesting. Because well, I want to get the spin-off. Well, they do need yeah, a spin-off. Marvel movies basically take on that ultimate reality. What if she's Jessica Drew as a clone of Pete Parker? Mm-hmm. Just saying. You know, I think Anne Hathaway's an an okay actress. I think her early stuff was really good. I'm not really sold on the stuff that she's done recently. You didn't like Get she's, Smart? Yeah, like Get Smart and The good. Devil Wears Prada and, and all of that. So She's quite good. She actually inhabits a role to where I don't look at her and go, yep, that sure is Lindsay Lohan playing something. No, no, no. I just Inside a sentient Volkswagen Beetle. She just, exactly. I don't know. To me, she just comes off as the same person hmm. in every movie. You know, this cute, no, lovable no, me, kind no. of thing. But that's why I'm not sold on her. Why do you think that Granted, you Anne Hathaway... Watch the whole movie, too. Why, why do you think Anne Hathaway would work as uh, as Black Cat, Matthew? Oh, I don't. Oh, okay. Uh, but I do think that she's a, a, a good actress. I think that she's an attractive young lady. The problem with the Black Cat for me is that Anne Hathaway looks vaguely Middle European. And for me, the Black Cat... Uh, should and I don't think anybody else shares this with me. Is an Aryan be, blonde girl? No, vague, I'm thinking vaguely Hispanic, like mm, a, a, a Spanish or like you know Venezuelan, perhaps with the bleach blonde white hair. I think it's awesome, especially if you read uh, Marvel divas. And yes, I read and enjoy Marvel divas. The way uh, I think it's Tonchi Zonchik or Zonchi Tonchik, whoever the artist of that book, the way he draws her to me, to my eye looks kind of very much like Jessica Alba as the Invisible Woman, kind of a blonde woman of Hispanic mm. origin. Mm-hmm. So I don't look at her and I'm like, uh, you know. Although I did I did an artist's rendition of Anne Hathaway as Black Cat. Yeah, you could see the, the outline web. on the on the Photoshop stuff, but that's okay. I see what you were Photoshop. going for. I, I see what you were going for. I had a system crash and didn't have Photoshop. Oh, okay. I, I see what you're doing. I, I you know... She might be good, and if they do her, you know, fine. I mean, I'm not going to not go see the movie. Mm-hmm. Are you saying if, they, if if you were allowed to do her, you wouldn't do her? No, no, no. I'm saying if... if Actually, probably not. Her pasty skin just doesn't do it for me. <laughs> and her her round eyes and... Her uh, round eyes and, and her not long black hair. 
Yeah. Her pasty skin just is a total turnoff. Hmm. So okay, the guy seriously. that's whiter Stop than a pair of socks. Pasty. My God, you're a walking Pillsbury <laughs> doughboy yourself. I know. She's that's what I say. I am a, I am a contradiction uh, in my she words. She is Caucasian. Rodrigo, what do you think? What do you think? I think she'll, it'll probably be fine. I'm more concerned about the... The main out- villain? No, no, no. The outline. Like, what's... Like, are they actually going to pick it up from where Spider-Man 3 left off? You know, I mean, I I was really disappointed by by 3. So, you know, and and especially, you know, the whole Kristen Dunn's not signing up yet. Like, that just, like, I, I, I'm, my main concern is how strained is the storyline in this movie going to be? How much of it is going to be spent explaining away stuff that happened in the previous movie? Like Spider-Dancing. Yeah, True, but you don't have to necessarily reference it. Uh, I think, as far as the villain goes, I think it'll be the lizard. But who knows? They have been well, setting f- that or up Mysterio. For a while. There is a precedent that the fourth movie sucks horrifically. Well, yeah, that but, could be but it in too. this one, the third one beat it to it. Yeah. Hey, everybody, you can well, find out about this story and many more over at the Majorspoilers.com website. If you want to comment on any of these stories, you can certainly comment in the comment section under each story, or you can have, head over to the Major Spoilers forum. Leave your comments there. Uh, don't forget, we've got a lot of other great stuff over at the Majorspoilers.com website, including Critical Hit, a Major Spoilers Dungeons & Dragons podcast, which everybody is getting a kick out of. Uh, we've got the Major Spoilers Adventures and a whole lot more. You can check it out at Majorspoilers.com, and we'll be right back. Hi there. I'm Matthew Peterson, the incorrigible co-host of the Major Spoilers podcast. Thank you, dear. That was my wife. She just brought me my martini. At the top of every show, you may hear me talking about some of our darling listeners. A shout-out, if you will. If you'd like me to say something about you, all you have to do is make a donation of at least $10 to the Major Spoilers podcast, simply done by clicking on the Donate button at Majorspoilers.com. Every little bit helps keep that site up for another month and the podcast running just a little bit more so you can have a little bit more me and my wit and my wisdom and the charm that I bring to the comic book world. Uh, Matthew, I think what you mean to say is so we can bring the major spoilers experience to you, the faithful major spoilerite legion of fans. Shut up, Schleicher. This issue of the Major Spoilers Podcast is brought to you by Past Generation Toys. With action figures from DC and Marvel, there's bound to be an action figure for you. Visit them on the web at pastgenerationtoys.com. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for taking a moment to uh, listen to us uh, ask for money. Pontificate. <laughs> uh, you know what you could really do is head over to the Major Spoilers website and click on all those advertisers that we have. That would sure make our day and make their day as well. Indeed. How about some reviews? Let's get some reviews out of the way. <laughs> and in neighborhoods around the world, suddenly dogs are howling. Rodrigo, what do you got for us this week? I got The Marvelous got Land of Oz, number one from Marvel. All right. Got a young art. I I do enjoy that. Yep. It's uh, Eric Shanower writer. You could argue like adaptation. Scotty Young art. It's um. It picks up 
after Dorothy goes back and even the very first page says the marvelous land of Oz being an account of the further adventures of the scarecrow and the tin man. So we are, and this is, as I understand it again, much like the wizard of Oz was pretty close to the book's narration right down to sort of that weird archaic, uh, um, like sentence structure that the characters used to, to talk and to describe things. And like, they're weird. Like you see thought balloons with like, very descriptive inner monologues and stuff. So this has uh, Scarecrow. It will eventually. This this first uh, the 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 book starts out with the adventures of Tip, who's a Gillikin. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, there's like Gillikins and Munchkins and this and that and, and the, the Skipper thing. and the Professor and yeah, okay, and all the rest. Okay, and all the other guys. I don't know. I used to watch it in Spanish. <laughs> um, <laughs> with Pantalon, the <laughs> Capitano. Yep, pretty much. Um, So it starts out with Tip living with this old uh, witch who um, he tries to play a trick on her and try to scare her by building a pumpkin head man. And she's like, aha, I will play a trick on him. And she brings a pumpkin head man to life. And then she's like, well, now that I have the pumpkin head, man, I'm going to eat you. No, I'm going to turn you into a statue. So he's like, oh, no. So he runs away with the pumpkin head, man. And now they are on their way to the Emerald City Ah, okay. to have some fun adventures. You know, I think I only ever read The Wizard of Oz, but I do know mm-hmm. that there were the other books. Does this one have the, the TikTok man in it? Um, I don't think so. I think, was that the third one? I don't know. I um, think he's in Ozma. Oh, yeah, okay. Ozma right. of Oz or something. Um, this one features, um, the Woggle Bug, Jack Pumpkin, Pumpkinhead, the animated Sawhorse, and the Gump. Okay. Cool. <laughs> so, what, how the was it? The animated Sawhorse <laughs> and the Gump. <laughs> Bring out the Gump. Jack uh, Pumpkinhead. So, what did you think of this, Rodrigo? What, what, what were the good parts? What were the bad parts? It's pretty uniformly good. Um, you know, there, there's just something about the the Wizard of Oz, the first one. Mm-hmm. It's become such a huge cultural deal, right? That I enjoyed every last pixel of it. Mm-hmm. You know, when I was reading it, this one, I actually I haven't read it. I I've only read parts of the original Wizard of Oz. But ah, okay. This one, I was not like I wasn't even aware of this story until very recently. So it doesn't have that oomph that that, oh, the, okay. that the wizard of us comes with right 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 um but other than that it's the same thing and in this case that's a very good thing cool um i'd give it four slices of meatloaf so far excellent cool thank you rodrigo that was out last week that was out i think this week oh this week okay I don't know. I can never tell, like, if I actually look at the book because this is the. <laughs> I believe Marvelous the, Land of Oz is out this Wednesday or today, depending on when you read this. It may be tomorrow and or yesterday. Uh, January. The, I believe the, it ships the twenty fifth. The the issue is for January twenty ten. So who knows? All right. So yeah, probably, that would have, that would have been yeah. So that would be out fairly soon, or out already, depending on when you're listening. Hello, future people. We've had a lot Hello. of discussion over at the Major Spoilers forum, and I forget who started it, uh, but someone hey. was asking. How do you guys Me. collect and store and catalog, more importantly, your comic books? Mm-hmm. Some people use Excel. Some people use a variety of different uh, softwares for, for doing that. I, I use I, Whiteout and a Sharpie. 
Just right I, on the end of the box. For many Justice years now, League. For many years now, I have been using Comic Base, and their newest version, 14, now it's 14.1, uh, just came out a couple of weeks ago, a couple of months ago. Well, maybe one month ago. Uh, but the point one update, I got to tell you, if you are looking for a way to catalog your comic books, this is an excellent way of doing it. What they do is they have this huge database of all of the North American, or I should say American comics. Some European comics are in there, uh, but just about everything that's been done over the last 50 or 60 years and some maybe or got to be longer than that 70 80 years um are included in this database 440,000 comics in this thing hmm. and you can go through and you can find you know you're looking for Batman from uh Batman 200 and you want to find out what year that came out and you want to find out what the story was about and the artists and the writers involved it lists that in the database nice it also comes with the cover ooh a nice big file size cover too so you can hover over it, see the little thumbnail. If you leave your mouse hovering over it, it expands to an almost full screen uh, image of that of that cover. So if you're going back as a historian and, and wanting to know what the covers looked like back then, or if you run a website and you're trying to find an image from that time period, this is a great one to go to. Does it have uh, updates or is it now tied this to is, an online database? This is cool. You have your own database locally. Mm. Every week when new issues come out, you log in. And you say, download, check for updates. And it says, hey, there are new issues to download. Would you like to download them? Mm -hmm. And you can say, yes, I would. And it'll download that. And if it also keeps track of prices, like current price guide kind mm -hmm. of stuff, would you like us to update your prices? Would you like us to remove titles that have been uh, put in mistakenly or titles that are now obsolete? You can do that as well. It also will download the covers. And what's cool in this version is you can highlight the entire series because it's a lot of comic covers. Mm -hmm. And sometimes they'll just send down one or two a week, or you may miss a couple of weeks. Like me, I update the uh, the database about once every two weeks. And so it's not downloading last week's covers. It's just downloading this week's covers. But I can highlight all the missing ones and say, go get the covers. Nice. And it'll find them and download them. And then as the versions progress, uh, as you go from 12 to 13 or 13 to 14, when it's downloading these new covers, if it finds one that has a smaller resolution than the one before, it'll say, hey, do you want us to replace this one? Sure, I'll put in the bigger file size nice. if you've got the hard drive space. Now, that's the big thing. Mm -hmm. uh, the version that I'm using is the archive edition. Edition. They have a free version, which only lets you store up to 500 uh, issues in your catalog, but it's a great way to kind of test to see if the system if will work for you. Like, yeah. yeah. The Archive Edition is the one that has the 440,000 titles and all of the uh, other things that go with it. It comes with two CDs, or excuse me, two DVDs full of covers. They also have a Blu-ray edition, which I don't have because none of my computers have a Blu-ray uh, reader, mm -hmm. that have even higher resolution images with them, which is kind of cool. The thing that blew me away is for years everyone's like, oh, you need to get a, 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 a scanner, you know, one of those uh, light scanners mm -hmm. that they use at the stores and everything. Because it'll make entering your comic book so much easier. Because before I have to go and do a search for the title, then I have to scroll down and find the issue, then put it in and then go to the next one. And if you don't have your ca uh, comics organized in any kind of way, mm -hmm. you might be jumping from one title, then coming back and then jumping yeah. back and forth. And really, it's a pain in the ass doing that. With the 14 version, I said, you know what, I'm just going to go ahead and get one of these, these scanners. Holy crap, this thing works marvelously. Nice. I had about a month's worth of comics here. I've got a whole nerd room of doom that's filled with comics that haven't been put into the into the uh, system yet. But I blew through about 
a month, two months worth of comics in about a half hour. Just bar scan, bar scan, bar scan, bar scan. Nice. Great, wonderful program. Two problems, though. Number one is the first one with the bar scanner. Dynamite, Oni Press, and some of the independent comics. I didn't have this problem with Boom Studios. But Dynamite and Oni and... I think Virgin? I haven't gotten that far yet. Um, Zenoscope. Mm-hmm. They all use a different barcode system than the one that DC and, and all the bigger companies use. It's mm-hmm. technically a valid UPC code, mm-hmm. um, but it's missing like a five-digit number thing, which is what this system really needs to get it to work. So by the end of the – when I'm totally done with the catalog, there's probably going to be about 100 issues I'm going to have to go in and manually input mm-hmm. because it's not picked up by the scanner. Otherwise, it's great. The other problem that I have with this is it's very expensive. If you go with the archive edition, you're looking at $229 for a new for a new version of the software. Wow. That software is only good for one year because then next year they'll come out with a newer version. That you have to buy that you have, all over you, again? You could. It doesn't, if you want the free updates, the, the, the database stuff and the images, uh-huh. yeah, you have to pay again and it's like $100. If you do it within the first month of the new release, it's $100 for all the... Uh, internet access and all the stuff to the to the site. If you don't want to do that and want to ma- enter it manually, fine, go ahead. Um, otherwise, it's going to cost you a little bit of money. And it is an expensive program. But if you're like me and you have something, and I the last count that I had was something like 12,000 comic books, and you want to organize them in a way, comic base is the way to go. I have Ma- a few questions. Yeah, Matthew, go ahead. Because I was going to ask, what do you guys use at the store? At the store? Yeah. We use Matthew. Okay. Seriously, we use Matthew. Okay. This is why this is why I have a job is that I know where the books are. Okay. And it is my job to make sure that the other employees know where the books are. Okay. Um right now we actually moved to a new point of sale system when the newer books, the brand new books are now uh basically now all have a unique barcode. So we now use the barcode scanner to receive inventory and sell the books. Right. But I would say that probably 25 to 30 percent of my of my collection predates 1975, which yeah. means it predates the barcode. Right. So what do you do in those situations? Well, in those situations, you're going to have to manu- enter it manually. So if you've got uh, the Roy Rogers comic number 20, well, you right. just do a search. Just do a quick search for Roy Rogers. It'll pull up mm-hmm. everything with the Roy Rogers in it, starting with the title first. And you can go to that right. title, scroll down to issue number 20, and then just hit the – um, quantity that you have, the condition that it's in, and if you're going right. to sell it in the future, what your sell price would be. Because one of the other unique features that comes with Comic Base is that it's tied to uh, Human Computing's online uh, auction site. I've never used it. It's called Avenue Atomic Avenue, uh, but it lets you post your stuff. It lets you uh, uh, put up images of what the comic looks like and the sell price, and you can see what everybody else is doing at the same time. So that, on that hand, it's kind of neat. So is that a website? How, that is a website. Wait, can you take me to Atomic to... Avenue? Yes. And then I'll take you higher? Right. Yes. Exactly. Out in the streets, there is violence, by the way. Um, it should, however, how long does it take to add, say, you've got a long box worth of three, three, 500 comics? 35, 30, I've comics. only done two months worth of comics, so we're probably looking at... A hundred, maybe? A hundred comics? Here's the problem that I have with most all of these uh, Varfants is my current, my collection now has graduated to a 55th short box, 
So yeah. I have 55 short boxes and four and a half long boxes right. of comics. Right. I have three long boxes of comics that I have yet to even alphabetize. Right. I've got about five or six or of those. Long boxes? Yes, long boxes. Five or six long boxes of uncatalogued, unbagged and boarded comics sitting around. You don't bag them before you put them in the box? Oh, they're sitting there for temporary storage. Temporary storage will still damage your books if they're not bagged. Well, I'm not saying that these are going to be mint copies that I'm going to sell in the future. Um, but anyway, uh, or just but anyway, collection of young blood. Yeah, it's it's all Dude, the, it's all the stuff. Your from cavalier the attitude frightens and upsets me. <laughs> um, let me let me I just have, put it this way, Matthew. Literally, literally, I, I entered 40, 40 comics in yeah. less than twenty minutes into the system. Okay, and, and probably even faster than sit that. down. I don't want to pay five hundred dollars or three hundred dollars for this thing. Buy my barcode scanner, go through this whole schmageggy, and then still have to spend two months cataloging my collection while trying to keep up with the new stuff. Sure, I can understand that, and that's a problem that a lot of people have when they're trying to to uh, decide if they're going to catalog their comics or not. Right. This is I'm one option. At the point where the cataloging system that I use with my collection is the same cataloging system that I use at the office. Mm-hmm. If you ask me. Where is X-Men number 29? I will tell you that X-Men 29 is in the same long box with Action Comics. You want to know why? Because that's where you put it. No. Action Comics contains the Secret Six. The Secret Six had a seven-issue limited series. So my Secret Six issues are with my Action Comics issues. X-Men 29 features the Mimic, so it's with It the Living Colossus, who appeared in Incredible Hulk. Incredible Hulk and Secret Six are always in the same box because I really loved those series when I was a kid. You see where the problem comes in here. Well, at, at, this the, is not something telling you where the, the comic is located. It's telling you, right. do you have the comic? The How much is it worth? What was the story comic. about? That kind of stuff. Exactly. And when you have a collection that is that huge, yeah, I'm looking for something that is really quick and simple, something where I can literally just bangity, bangity, boodily blobber this, to this where actually, I can get through two or three long boxes in an hour. Is that I, a, I, would, I mean, is that I, I would bet you could do that as fast as as and again this is the barcode stuff. But even then, right. before I had the the uh, the bar scanner and I was doing it manually, I was mm-hmm. getting through probably a long box in about an hour hour and a half manually, and that's not too bad because you can go in and do a mass inner system to where you can say, okay, I'm doing Adventures of Superman and I have issues um, two hundred through three hundred. And I have one quantity of each, and they're all in good condition. Submit. Boom. All done. Nice. See, and that's the thing. Does it have a grading option? It does have a grading option in there. So you could actually go through and you could say, this is my Ghost Rider number one. It's a 4.0. Yeah. Well, it it does it fine. It does mint. Right. Uh, 4.0 fine. would be no. fine. Yeah, yeah. It does that. Okay. And then, so you know, of course, the other thing is then it, it adjusts the... You can go through and you can say, and this is the cool thing for when I go doing my my sprees at comic shops, I can go through it and say, hey, print out every missing issue of The Flash between 200 and 500 that I don't own and tell me which issues I'm missing. So I can have a checklist when I come into Gatekeeper Comics and Hobbies and say, hey, Matthew, I'm looking for Flash 222. Oh, no, we don't uh-huh. got that one. Well, but no. I, I've got a great checklist for it, and it works wonderfully, and we've used it for years. They've also got a... a a way that you can send it to your iPhone or your BlackBerry so you don't have to have a printed copy. It will uh-huh. adjust. It'll allow you to print out a report to tell you how much your collection is worth if you've actually gone through and graded your system correctly. Mm-hmm. 
It's 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 pretty thorough in what it does. Okay. I'm I'm if giving it, has... it a, I'm giving it a four four out of uh, I'm sorry I'm giving it five or four point five slices of meatloaf because five of the cost out of four. No, 4.5 out of 5 slices of meatloaf because it really is expensive and I think that that's the thing that will will uh set a lot of people back. Hmm, cool. It's worth checking out. Go check out the free version. Like I said it'll let you catalog up to 500 but it'll give you a feel for what the system does. They have some other versions that are not Dude, as expensive. I bought more than 500 comics in the month of August. Yeah, I'm kind of the same way. But I mean it gives you a chance to test it out. There's one version that's like 100 bucks that doesn't come with any covers uh, in the collection and then the 220 the archive edition and then the Blu-ray edition. So, check it out. It's worth it. You can find it if you just do a um, go to comicbase.com or humancomputing.com and it will take you to the company's website. Matthew, oh. let's talk about some Dark Avengers. Ooh, they're not just Avengers. They're Dark Avengers. Well, that's brutal. It's brutal. <laughs> it's brutal. I don't think it's brutal enough to be on our next album. Murderface, get the hell out of here. Okay. That was my Nathan explosion. I can't do Murderface because I don't have enough of a gap in my teeth to talk like Murderface. Dark I Avengers. What are you guys doing? There you go. Nice. Can you say Planet Piss? Planet Piss. I'm almost done with it. <laughs> <laughs> Brian Bendis, Mike Deodato, Dark Avengers. In the last issue of Dark Avengers, Norman Osborn went off and, and had an Avengers mission, which was kind of weird. Does that kill everybody? He what? Was his mission to kill everybody? Is that why there's the list? No, he actually went on a superhero mission. Something oh. weird happened in Colorado. And he and his Dark Adventures went out, and unfortunately, he screwed up. Uh, the thing that was happening was Owen Reese, the Molecule Man, who's about 27 times as powerful as the most powerful member of his team. For those of you listening at home, the most powerful member of the team is Moonstone. The answer is Moonstone. Now, um, <laughs> anyway, you had to be there. A squeeze. Um, hello, I am Decobra. That's my name is Decobra. Um, Owen basically had manipulated Norman, and at the end of the issue, he was there with someone that I suspect was the, well, Mephisto, someone who looks like he may be Zarathos, someone who may be the Enchantress, and someone who I think, I think, is the Beyonder. Um, this issue actually opens with a flashback to Victoria Hand, and it does something very subtle with Victoria Hand. I don't like her. She's not really a good character, per se. But they very subtly imply that this is Victoria Hand having a discussion with her life partner, cool, her girlfriend, and they move on. And Victoria is trying to get Nick Fury to look at something, some plan that she has. It does have the best Brian Michael Bendis line ever, mm -hmm. where somebody brings a letter to Fury that says, Dear Colonel Fury, I really must voice my personal disappointment. And he hands it to somebody and says... You know, I specifically don't go on the internet to avoid things like this, <laughs> which is pretty awesome. Yeah. Um, it, it's Victoria's story throughout most of the issue. The Dark Avengers disappeared. Of course, they were sent out by some senator guy anyway, but doesn't matter. They all disappeared. Norman ends up having this psychic conversation with Owen and realizes how incredibly outpowered he is. He tries to do his thing that he does with the sentry. When dealing with the crazy person, he tries to do his whole... Cut the crap, I'm down to earth, I'm just a man like you, Nixon routine. It doesn't really work. And then we have one of the most disturbing 
sequences I've ever read in any comic ever. Uh, it's actually drawn by Greg Horn, so it's in that really super shiny, photorealistic, greasy kind of coloring. Where copy from, Norman cop, copy from a porn star pose? Yeah, kind of. Um, no, actually, I don't know if that's Greg Horn. I think you're thinking of Greg Land. Greg Land, yeah. Greg Horn is the one who did the covers of the Emma Frost that's comic. Right, like that's right, that's right. Uh, where he dreams himself as Spider-Man with a pregnant Gwen Stacy, and he gets thrown off the Brooklyn Bridge. Um, and there's, you know, a whole lot of stuff going on. And Victoria is trying to figure out what she's going to do now that all of the Dark Avengers are gone. The Sentry gets blown up on panel for the fifth time in this series. Once <laughs> again. to kill the Sentry. <laughs> again. I know. You bastards. You bastards. <laughs> uh, Venom gets turned into dirt. And Bullseye gets turned into water. And. Moonstone gets turned into Moonstone. I don't know. Daken gets turned into the man thing, which is kind of cool. Um, but basically, Molecule Man takes them all out. Even Ares takes them out without even a second thought. And we get to the end of the issue, and Victoria Hand has spent the whole issue desperately trying to figure out what she's going to do. Oh, man, I just put a fingerprint all over the cover. Damn. Um, need to wash my hands. Victoria Hand figures this out. And the last scene of the issue is Victoria Hand walking up to the Molecule Man. And they surprise me in that she says, my name is Victoria Hand. I'm the head of Hammer and we surrender. No. She gives up. So the Molecule Man now apparently has the upper hand in this. It's I, I have some positives about the issue. I like the art. Deodato has really come into his own on this book. The stunt casting that drove me so nuts when he was dry, drawing Thunderbolts mm -hmm. is finally toned down. Yes, Norman is drawn on a Tommy Lee Jones template, but it's not like directly drawn from images of Tommy Lee Jones. Right. Moonstone looks eerily familiar. I don't know whom some blonde actress, but... It basically falls into the same trap that every issue of Dark Avengers has in that these aren't heroic characters. They can't act in heroic ways. So we put them in a situation where something happens and Bullseye tries to kill somebody and Venom tries to eat somebody and the sentry gets blown up. It's feeling a little repetitious at this point. Now, that said, it's good to see Owen again. Molecule Man is one of those characters who was kind of higher profile when I was a kid. One of the characters that I always kind of liked, but it's done in a weird way where I still don't know whether the people who are with him are his hallucinations or some sort of echoes. If they're really there, I don't think they are, but it's not really clear. And this issue, again, falls into the same trap that I keep getting from Dark Avengers. It doesn't feel like a satisfying chunk of story. You know what I'm saying? You get to the point where you've read 25, 26, 30 pages of this stuff, and it feels like three pages of comic. Yeah. We filled it with so much dialogue that it's taken 30 pages to tell the story, or in this case, an eight-page flashback to explaining who Victoria Hand is. Don't get me wrong. I like that backstory. But again, you know, I accuse Bendis a lot of writing for the trades, and this issue is an example of the negative aspect of that in that it's chapter three of six. And chapter three of six feels a little padded, no matter how much you want to love it. Um, a little less than average here. I'm going to say two slices of meatloaf overall. Beautiful art. 
the dialogue is nice, but it's, it's nothing really happens. I have a really eerie sensation that we're going to get to the end of this and it's all going to have happened in about five seconds in the characters' minds. Mm-hmm. And I'll have spent, I'll have spent six months reading Dark Avengers for what's essentially, you know, a, a five page Mort Weisinger imaginary story. Mm. Yeah, I, I, I just, I don't know what it is. I have this love hate relationship with Bendis where when he's on, it's awesome. There's no better writer in the business for me in mm-hmm. some cases, but when he's off, I don't know. It just, it, it all feels, you know, a little perfunctory. It feels like, you know, the equivalent of a box of chocolates. Yeah. And I, and I'm breaking my teeth. So two out of five overall, a good book could be a great book. Um, hopefully next issue will redeem all this and make it all fascinating and wonderful. Some nice stuff on Victoria hand. There you go. So two books from Marvel this week and a computer program that might be worth checking out. If you have a big collection or a collection that might be growing, you can find many more reviews over at the Majorspoilers.com website. Majorspoilers.com All right, Matthew, what comes after the reviews? After the reviews? Um, usually I have a sandwich. No, that's not right. Uh, after the reviews comes lunch. No, that's aftermath. Um, after the reviews, Father Mulcahy and Klinger and Colonel Potter end up working in a hospital in Missouri. No, that's after MASH. Um... Hell, I don't know. Help me out here. Is it? I think it's time for the major spoilers poll of the week. Here we are, <laughs> the poll of the week. A couple of silver spoons. Now, the interesting you know that thing Alfonso is, Rivera was in silver spoons. Yes, he know? was. Yes, he was. The interesting thing about the poll of the week is it actually started with Scroll Brian back in one of our early episodes. And Scroll Brian. Brian had to step away from the show because of his family commitments and and all these other things. But he and, called and me. He got he got uh, promoted to a super Scroll Brian. Yes, he did. Right. Uh, he, now had, he has the powers of the original five X Men plus Batman, which is odd. He had to call me this past weekend because he was telling me that his wife was going to see this Twilight movie and was going to line up like hours before the midnight showing just so mm. she and a bunch of her other friends could go and watch Twilight. And it's a big box office boffo movie. You know, it's made more money in the first day than The Dark Knight did. Mm-hmm. Sparkly vampires. Sparkly vampires. Sparkly vampires. Slowly I turn step by step. Uh, so the thing is, the funny thing is, and he was going to try to record this, he called his wife a big old nerd on par with the Star Trek nerds. Mm-hmm. And, of course, he said it right around their brand new young son, who promptly started saying, nerd, 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 nerd. Which got me thinking. When it comes to movies, mm-hmm. and we're looking at four major franchises, the Star Trek franchise, the mm-hmm. Star Wars franchise, the Harry Potter movie series, and now the Twilight series. Of the fan base for those movies... Which group are the biggest group of annoying nerds? Mm, this is this is we do not have enough accountability on this. What do you mean? You know what I mean. This includes us. I know it For does. us to opine on who is a bigger nerd when all three of us fall into no, one an of an annoying nerd. Now I didn't say which it, ones is a nerd, I just said what is the most annoying nerd. But that's that's like saying 
which okay, who is more annoying, you, me, or Rodrigo? You. Well, Rodrigo, <laughs> Rodrigo would say me, and you would say me. Listen, and I would say you, and all the people would stay with me because they love me. Listen, last week I said that I preferred Star Wars over Star Trek, mm-hmm. and I, because you know, I am in that. You say camp. Star Trek again? I am getting in the car. No, I said Star Trek. The thing I am is, driving to hate. I would. Dude, that's I would his have, accent. He's he's from the he's a he's a from he's from the Kansas. Midwest. Yeah. So the, the same thing place that's... I'm from. <laughs> no, I'm not from Beloit, Kansas. We grew up 195 miles apart. No, listen. Last week I said I was a huge Star Wars fan and really liked Star Wars. But I would consider the Star Wars people to be the bigger group of annoying nerds. Mm-hmm. Because these are the people that, that lined up for weeks before uh, the first episode one movie launched. Uh, and these are the people that just and go and whined in, about it forever. Yeah, and then whined about it forever and those kinds of things. I would have figured that people would have thought that these were the crazy nerds. These are the ones that, oh my gosh, there's a Star Trek person and there's a Star Wars person. Of the two, I'd rather go hang out with the Star Trek people. Well, they're they're less likely to be uh, wearing a steel bikini, <laughs> which is why you want to hang out with the Star Wars people. So that's, you know, I honestly thought Star Wars people, and I would group myself with those group of people, but I wouldn't consider myself the the people that are walking around with the pointy ears and talking in, in uh, Vulcan. Cling on to their and, children. Cling on in their, to their children for their first three years. Those kind of things. <laughs> Rodrigo, who would you say are Why the most are annoying? Why are you speaking Yiddish? <laughs> um, who are the most annoying I, I think you were just bar mitzvah, if I'm not I, I Yeah. <laughs> So I voted. I voted Star Wars. Today, my son, you are a man. <laughs> <laughs> um, the uh, I, I think the, this this issue was all triggered by by the sudden uh, appearance of of Twilight nerds, um, or or rather the the sudden unearthing of them because they've been around. They've been reading the books. It's just the movies. We call them Twilerds. Twilerds. The Okay. Most of these franchises have had time to mature to a certain degree. Um, Twilight really hasn't. I think people find Twilight nerds so obnoxious is because it's new, because it's a new thing, because it's this whole brand new group of people. And, and a lot of them are young and they're just being introduced to vampires and people who liked Dracula, who like vampire movies in general, who like vampire lore. Right. Keep getting pissed at Twilight because it's kind of like kicking over like the things that they particularly liked about vampires. Right, right. Um, and inventing new things that they find annoying. Um, you know, it's like, it's like bugs, you know, like, uh, the Twilight fans, they're in their pupil stage. Mm-hmm. They're particularly ugly and clear <laughs> and they have extra limbs and they eat, you know, the ugly stuff. And eventually they will blossom into like the beautiful butterflies that are Star Trek nerds who have, you know, finally crested over that peak. And now they're to the point where they fly away and no one cares about them anymore. <laughs> so who, who did you say? Twilight nerds are the worst? Uh, yeah, right now because it's because the fervor is so strong. Okay. That's, I mean, they're, it's like they, they are like bugs. It's like cicadas. Right now, at this moment, they are making the most noise. Okay. So right now, they're the most annoying. Okay. We will have that's to see the strength of the franchise. I mean, that's what's going to be, this is going to prove it. If you look at Harry Potter, that's already waning. Like right. people aren't as excited about Harry Potter as they used to be. Right. Um, 
so we'll see three or four or five movies down the line how strong Twilight is still holding out. All right. Matthew? Mm-hmm. What? Uh, what did you vote for this week on the poll? I did not vote this week in the poll because I do not believe that I have any room to talk. Now, I have opinions, of course, but I always have right. opinions. Right. When you look at the basics of this, is what you're looking at are four, to some degree, niche markets, but four fan bases who love what they love. Whether you love, you know, the old man in the cave teaching the young kid and the pirate how to overcome the evil empire or whether you love the man in the toupee and the man with the fake ears running through the universe and everything being the most powerful signal they've ever done or whether you love the passive aggressive crap that Edward pulls on Bella. You know, whatever you love, I that's love your thing. Floor. <laughs> and that's the thing. If you, let's say, if we go into this, I would choose myself. I would probably put myself more as a Star Trek geek. Okay. So let's say I, I, I identify myself as a Star Trek geek. Obviously, I'm going to find one of the other groups more annoying. But let me ask the two of you a question. Raise All your right. hand if you know who Panda Baba is. I've heard the name. I'm raising my hand. Rodrigo is raising his hand. See, and that's the thing. Now, raise your hand if you know who Cho Chang is. Oh, I know who Cho Chang is. Okay. Now, raise your hand if you can tell me Lieutenant Uhura's first name. Roxanne? No, and she doesn't have to turn on the red light either. <laughs> so, the basis, let's look at that. The basis um, Ductile this... Devil says Neota. Ductile Devil, you are my people. I know, but so the we thing is, one, he's we, not... We eat things. Just because someone's a nerd doesn't mean that they're an, an annoying nerd. I think probably but why people hate I'm the Twilighter not... so much. And I think, and when I look at the comment section here in the uh, in the in the talkback up on the Majorspoilers.com website, Rico says, I, pe- "I hope the people that vote for Twilight emo vampire have actually seen the movie and read the books. I almost voted for him, but realized I have no actual reason to hate the guy." We're not asking you which of these people are the most annoying. We're not asking you if Harry Potter or Luke Skywalker or or the Twilight Vampire, or Captain Kirk are annoying. We're saying the fans who go rabbit over this, and a lot of this started back at the San Diego Comic-Con last year, where a lot of the the tickets for the Hall H uh, day were completely sold out because, and people weren't getting into Hall H, because the fans of Twilight queued up four days in advance, stayed in line for four days, and just were annoying and troublesome to the people who are actually attending the show and who wanted to get into some of the other panels. That's where a lot of this this uh, uh, comic nerd versus Twilight nerd kind of stuff started. And so I was just wanting to see what people thought. Well, I have personally been in a discussion of why Maggot was one of the best X-Men ever. Yes. I, I have personally been involved in discussions where people ask me, hey, when did this happen? And I can say to them, the first appearance of Ghost Rider was Marvel Spotlight number 5, 1972. It was drawn by Mike Plug and written by Mike Friedrich. I can say that, and your average person on the street, your John Q. Schmuckensy hearing me say that, is going to be like, nerd! Yeah, but that doesn't make so, you an annoying nerd. But it doesn't I mean, that make just you, makes you a helpful library nerd. Yes, there and that's you go. what I'm saying. Most annoying in this context doesn't have a lot of meaning for me. So okay. I chose not to vote. All right. Because the Twilight nerds right now, yeah, like Rodrigo's beautiful cicada analogy, right now they're the biggest ones. And they're the ones that we want to poke fun at because so many people, it seems to be a big popular trend. And I feel that we at Major Spoilers are 
are above this kind of meanness, this internet snarky, 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 everybody sucks but me, rawr, rawr, rawr. There's, there's an important thing to, for, that, that is something that's important to me. Um, this comes up a lot in gaming forums. Right. Which is, you know, somebody comes in, they're relatively new, or they, they actually just come in as, to, to troll mm-hmm. and to flame people, and they'll say, well, you know, you guys are all nerds. And somebody will be like, well, at least we're not LARPers. Right, 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 and the right, LARPers right. are like, well, at least we're not cosplayers. Right, right, and the right. cosplayers are like, well, at least we're not Renfair folk. Right. And the Renfair folk are like, well, at least we're not furries. And the furries are like, meow. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, so it's if, important okay, to keep there's the, nothing wrong with... Right, go ahead. It's important to keep the nerd-on-nerd violence to a minimum. That's right. right. Stop nerd on nerd. There violence. is nothing we should wrong. All beat up on the jocks. There's nothing wrong with being a nerd <laughs> we will about come your favorite together thing. And we will take right? out the alpha betas. There's nothing wrong with being a huge nerd and geeking out over maggot or mimic or block. There's nothing wrong with having a, an utter fascination with a famous celebrity or something like that. Yes. Well, but Batman. if there was a line to meet somebody. Mm-hmm. Captain Kirk. Let's Adam pick West. William Shatner. Adam West. William? Let's pick Adam, Adam West. West. Poor Adam West didn't have anybody at his line at the San Diego Comic Con last year. That's why our friend Julian was able to get right up there in line. I'm sure he just autograph. got in at an off time. Okay, there's nothing wrong with queuing up to wait to get your autograph for William or for uh, Adam West. Mm-hmm. But if there's a line and all of a sudden. This person back goes, well, I'm the biggest Adam West fan of the world and starts pushing and shoving and shoving people out of line to get up there and going, you don't understand. I've got to meet Adam West. Well, that person is an annoying Adam West fan. Mm-hmm. Okay. There's a big difference between somebody who is being abusive and rude and inconsiderate of other fans or other nerds. Uh, and so that's why I'm saying which ones are the most annoying. Let's take a break here and listen to one of our Skype phone calls. Where Mela calls in and gives an example of the problem uh, with what she felt in this poll. Hi, this is Mela. Um, first things first, I've got a few things. I want to thank Maggie for pronouncing my last name right in the shout out a few episodes ago. Thank you, man. No one ever does that. And. Second, I actually wanted to comment on the poll of the week because I noticed it doesn't have a dedicated post yet. When you're talking about the most obnoxious fandom, currently it is Twilight, hands down, and I have a personal horror story. I work with a woman who's the same age as me, and technically she's lived more and is more worldly. She's been married and divorced, and she's raising a child, much more than I've done. But you you mentioned Twilight. She suddenly turned into a 12-year-old girl, and the problem... With her is a problem that you see Protestants. They think these people are real. Yeah, we have the Church of the Jedi and Star Wars, but on the whole, I don't think anyone is actually going out looking for Yoda or Captain Kirk. It's really kind of weird how the Protestants think that this is a documentary. It's just alarming, frankly. And finally, I actually have a question for you guys. Given the sheer number of science fiction remakes on television, how many of these do you think actually work? I mean, Doctor Who is very popular. I personally find it a little generic. And Galactico is very good. But on the whole, they mostly seem to be failures, like the Bionic Woman and Knight Rider, now V, which is tapering off. 
And I especially want to know Matthew's opinion of The Prisoner, because he's the first person I've heard in a while say they genuinely liked it and considered it a favorite show. And I'm curious what he thinks of the new iteration of it. And if you're wondering, my problem with V was that I realized I didn't like any of the characters except for one guy, and I liked him because I thought he was hot. And when you realize that you like him because you think the actor's hot, then the show's not working. But yeah, keep up the great work. Thank you for your reviews. I like your dueling review of Adventure Comics. That was pretty neat. So yeah, have fun, guys, and thank you. Okay, thank you so much for that phone call. The question that she has is, what do we think of these TV series remakes? Mm-hmm. What do you think, Rodrigo? Well, uh- um, well, like uh, she, I think she specifically uh, name checked Doctor Who and right. V, right? Two of which I actually enjoy. I've um, I caught like the uh, I was on Hulu last night and caught like the next two episodes, like because I'd seen the pilot. Oh, yeah, yeah. So I think I'm caught up, right? Because the fourth one hasn't come out, or that it just uh, v, aired. v is airing right. Now. Well, it aired earlier tonight of uh, this okay. recording. So okay, so. You know, I thought it was good. I liked it. Um, but I didn't see the original V, and I started backwards on Doctor Who. Okay. So maybe I'm not the, you know, like, this. Is, these kind of aren't remakes to me. Well, because it's you like, weren't born when the first V came out. Exactly. So <laughs> to me, this is, it's more like lost lore to me. Right. It's like discovering Norse mythology after reading Thor. Yeah. It's like, oh, there's something more to this guy who rides around in a giant porta potty. <laughs> Matthew, did you hear that they're going to remake the UFO television series from the, from the 1970s? Well, that sounds like something I might be interested in. Well, uh, what do you think about this uh, remake of The Prisoner? I know we've talked about it before, but uh, I have not sat down to watch it yet. I've got it uh, queued up on, on my iTunes feed. What about you? I I have it on my DVR, and I'll tell you that I haven't seen it yet. But my inner fanboy already has opinions. Okay, such as this, and this kind of goes to the point of what she's asking: is is it a mm-hmm. good thing to remake these TV shows from twenty years well, ago? Let's look at Doctor Who specifically, just for a moment. Doctor Who is not a remake, right? Doctor Who right, is right. essentially an ongoing. a continuation, right? Now, In the same way with Star Trek. Now, Star Trek would be the same way because that was a continuation of the original series, not remaking everything. The everything up to Star Trek Enterprise right. would be considered a continuation. Right. Enterprise to me would probably be the first retcon. Really, it's kind of like the Volume Five Legion to the rebooted Legion, as the Volume Five Legion was to the reboot Legion. The Star Trek Enterprise series is to the new Star Trek movie. It kind of tested the waters for that. Doctor Who is a continuation. V is flat out remake. I enjoyed the first issues, episodes of V, but I didn't enjoy them the same way my inner child remembered loving the Freddy Krueger alien baby. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. My name is Mark Singer, and here's that shot of me on a white charger again version from my childhood. Right. But what about now? Uh, what about Knight Rider? And what about um, what was the other one that Knight Rider Bionic was awful. Woman? Bionic, Bionic Woman. Woman was awful. They, you know, but, you can have a good remake and you can have a bad remake. And Knight Rider and Bionic Woman are two prime examples of poorly, just poorly written scripts, like right. just poorly put together series with a with a weak plot. I wish I could remember the person that I heard this from. It may have been Scott Kurtz over at PVP, uh, but he, whoever said this, had a really great thought on all of these remakes being done. Is that you know that the industry is in trouble 
when the only thing they can do is go back and rehash a series that was not that great to begin with mm-hmm. in the terms of Knight Rider I, and Bionic Woman, more or less, that kind of stuff. I don't think that's true. And the reason I don't think that's true is because, as a comic fan, I look at comics history, like we were saying before the show, I think, about my recent revelations about early 70s DC comics. Right, right. Pop culture and entertainment goes in cycles. If you go back, if you want to see another period where remakes of things were happening, I want you to go back to the first days of television in the 50s. There were a lot of things like Topper, which started as a movie and was revamped with new characters. Right. Or if you look at I Love Lucy, which was based on a previous uh, movie that Desi Arnaz decided he also wanted to turn into something. There are periods where it's all about the retro. It's all about the remake. The same thing happened for a while in the early 70s, really. Mm-hmm. So I don't think it's any more creative bankruptcy so much as it is... Now, with pop culture being such a buzzword and no longer being something that, you know, nerds do in their spare time, mm-hmm. I think we have a higher awareness of it. But I don't think that, say, remaking V necessarily makes a show bad or creatively bankrupt. I will say this. If you're making a show where aliens come to Earth and they're secretly using the people as food and it's basically in a V vein... I would rather it be a remake of V than a ripoff of V. And if you look at something like Battlestar Galactica, I love the original Battlestar Galactica. It was a cute little Star Wars knockoff, Mm -hmm. almost comedy story, a kid's Mm -hmm. show. And 25 years later, they remade Battlestar Galactica as an adult drama that looked at some really deep stuff and some, you know, questions about identity, questions about the way we interact, what our you know, what our beliefs and what our realities are about, about, you know, the mechanistic society that we live in, right. and the loss of, you know, the individual. It made these points without ever once realizing that at one point, Starbuck was singing with eight kids and, you know, shooting down Cylons with a bow and arrow. Right. So you can, you can do a remake or a reimagining and have it be even better than the original. Mm-hmm. But then there's also that point where you're asking yourself, you know, If I'm going to do a story where a bunch of people get locked up in a farmhouse and fight off zombies, you know, and at the end of the night something terrible has happened and then we focus on the survivors, do I want to call Wes Craven, not Wes Craven, forgive me, um, George Romero, the other guy, George Romero, thank you, call Mm -hmm. up Romero and say, Mr. Romero, I would like to come together with you and work on something, a reimagining of Night of the Living Dead, Mm -hmm. or... Would you rather that I put it out as Night of the Walking Zombies and did the exact same thing and, you know, basically ripped off his intellectual property in a really overt way? And that's that's another thing is that there's there's a there's kind of a half life to certain properties. And right now, a lot of these because of TV's age, because TV hasn't been around as long as, you know, print. Right. Um, Yeah. It's finally gotten to the point where there's people spending money that have not seen these shows, i.e. me. And that's, and that's the big thing right and there. And finally, you can do stuff like this where you can hit the previous demographic and the current demographic, and there's enough of a catalog of television to choose from and to you know even afford yourself some mistakes like Knight Rider and like Bionic Excellent. Woman. Well, and there's a problem I think that I run into a lot when I talk about old comics. When I say, you know what I really loved? 
I love Steve Gerber's run on the Defenders <laughs> in 1974. And people say, well, I don't like the art on that. The art is like old and it looks, it right, looks well, right. it was done it in old. 1974. Exactly. It was done at that time. If you told that same story now with, you know, full pencils by Lionel U and computer coloring and foo-for-all, people would be jumping for joy over that series. Yeah. So if you take something out of its time, if you take something away from its craft, from itself, if you will, you kind of take it and you can turn it into something entirely new or seemingly new. Mm -hmm. There's no reason why somebody like Rodrigo, who never saw V in 1985, what with being a zygote. I was you know, born in nine or no wait. <laughs> what I meant to say is I had been born by 1985. <laughs> and so was already fine. traveling through time <laughs> as a fetus traveling through time in your little <laughs> porta potty. <laughs> you never had the chance to you know sit down and watch V and be scared at a point in time when there were three networks and there weren't 55 right, channels. Right, you know? right. V was an experience because it was a big. And it came during a time when there were big miniseries events. This was a big miniseries event. Mm-hmm. That doesn't happen anymore. No, big it really doesn't. Events, they don't happen, and the reason they don't happen is because there's 500 channels. That's right. And I'm in the middle of frickin' Topeka. I'm, I know that I don't have cutting-edge cable. Yeah. So, there's, I mean, there are moments where things can no longer be what they used to be. There's no reason why they can't still be good. If you look at the specifics of The Prisoner... To me, the heart of the prisoner is Patrick McGowan and that smirk on his face when he's driving and he's driving up and he stomps back and forth and then he wakes up in the village and every episode number two changes with the exception, of course, of two episodes where number two doesn't change, neither here nor there. (laughs) I guess on this, Rodrigo touched on it is there is a whole new demographic of viewers. And when we look at the major demographic that Hollywood and the networks are looking at, it's the 18 to 49 demographic, mostly male on mm-hmm. a lot of these. And so you have to look at it that most of us who are in our late 30s, early 40s, uh, mm-hmm. are probably got other things going on to where we're probably not watching that show, the new series V or, Dar- or uh, uh, well, driver, car, racer, man show, <laughs> Hasselhoff thing. Can dig it brighter. Yes. Can uh, it. I like so, Seymour. you know, they are probably no, trying to hit, they are probably trying to hit the Rodrigos and the high schoolers and the 12-year-olds of the world to get them excited because, again, this, I guess my problem in the overall theory of it is it worked once, let's, let's redo it, let's update it, let's modernize it and try to capitalize on the success again which is a problem that Hollywood and the music industry has time and time again. The Beatles are a perfect example of this where, oh, let's sell them on the 45s. Now now let's sell the same song to them again on an LP. Now let's sell the same song to them again on the on the uh, cassette tape. Now let's do it on the DVD. Now let's do it on the, the iTunes right. or, or in the digital format realm. So it's this but idea of trying to... Them. No, I, I'm not really blaming them in that case and trying to resell something. What I would hope that Hollywood and the networks could do is find something. And I don't want to say original, but what I'm saying is don't go back to that. Well, so many times of remakes, because it just seems in the last four or five years, we've just been inundated with remake after remake, after remake, whether it is a movie, uh, movie that's out or a television series or a cable channel or a, 
um, video game or whatever, that it's just like, let's keep doing that. Let's keep capitalizing on the success. But that's how the machine works, and I understand that. So for me, I chose not to watch V. I really want to see The Prisoner, but I haven't had a chance to watch that. I enjoyed Battlestar Galactica, but I enjoyed Battlestar Galactica because I watched it four years after it started, Mm -hmm. so I could blow through everything at one time. Um, So... You know, I think everybody's going to have their own opinion of whether they like it or not. And if it's something that's up your alley, great. If not, then maybe not so great. And I think in the case of V, its ratings have slipped week after week in the first three showings. And I'll be you interested to see that. tomorrow what happens in uh, in the final chapter. If it's, you keep if, saying that. What's that? Their ratings are slipping week over week. They have. That doesn't matter. Oh, yes, it does. When you're a network okay. right now with 500 they, channels, just like you said... But, ratings okay, are now let's key, take that, especially let's if you're ABC. Especially if you're ABC. Let's let's take that a step back now. When we look at a point in time when a movie costs thirty-seven million dollars to make, can you blame these people for wanting something that has a built-in following? Oh no, I, that's that's the whole point I'm getting at is that there is there is this new audience that you can capture, especially with this disposable income. So when you remake George Romero's Night of the Living Dead then it's going to have an audience that are going to be eager to see that. Now, is the remake better or worse? Well, that's up to the individual person. Well, actually, someone just brought up a point that I wanted to hit on, in the, and then we'll move on quickly because I know we spent a lot of time on this. In the chat room, uh, the discussion has hit Romeo and Juliet. Right. Romeo and Juliet is one of the great stories. Right. And Romeo and Juliet is not about Romeo and Juliet, per se. It's about what are you going to do with that? How are you going to take that and make it yours? So many of the things that are getting remade are more than the sum of their parts. The Prisoner is not a spy movie from the 60s that we can remake. The Prisoner, to me, is all about the interaction between number two and number six and the fact that we really don't get an answer at the end. And the fact that Patrick McGowan's portrayal was just so specific. If you look at, say, The Twilight Zone, Rod Serling did 154 episodes, and maybe half of them were excellent. Rod Serling was a goddamn genius. When they remade The Twilight Zone in 84, they didn't have Rod Serling. They didn't have that same level of goddamn genius, but they still did interesting things with it. It was their take. It was their Mm -hmm. version. So as long as you're, you know, taking into account that maybe this is not the same thing that you grew up with. This new prisoner, even though one of me wants to go, oh, I don't, oh. But that doesn't necessarily make it bad. And if you've never seen it, say Rodrigo goes in and he wants to watch The Prisoner and he didn't watch the original Prisoner. He did see a little bit of the original Prisoner. (laughs) There you go. But let's say you go in. Okay, we won't say Rodrigo. We'll say Paco. Our theoretical straw man, Paco, goes in. Mm Mm-hmm. And he watches The Prisoner with Jim Caviezel Caviezel? and Sir Ian Magneto. You're talking about Jesus? And he, yeah, Jesus and Magneto (laughs) locked, locked in eternal battle in the village and he loves it and it catalyzes him and it turns him, you know, it, 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 it is a transmogrifying piece of entertainment for him. F and A, that is what they wanted. That's you go and you love that and you love that as much as you want. Just don't make me have to watch while you're loving it. There's nothing wrong with that. I think the problem that I come down to, I find myself being the curmudgeon going, well, it's never going to be as good as the original prisoner. Maybe it doesn't have to be. 
it's not necessarily about originality. It's about what are you going to bring to it to make it something that people relate to. And now, let's talk about Sandman. Yeah, so you guys can comment about this over at the Major Spoilers website or go over to the television forums over at the Majorspoilers.com forums yeah. and start a th- I think uh, There's Rodrigo- already a thread on V. Okay. So you can either talk there or you guys can create a new thread to talk about this. And I just say, let the conversation continue, because that's what makes the forums Absolutely. great. So we do and want to talk about Sandman. if you want to participate in the show, the big show, oh, right, if you want right. to graduate to the big leagues, if you have thoughts, comments, if you have questions, if you want to make fun of Stephen's hair, please don't make or fun of me. I'm more sensitive than I seem to. If you want to contribute to the podcast, you can contact us at the Major Spoilers Hotline, 785 727 Did somebody say Neil Gaiman? Neil Gaiman? I hardly know, man. All right, let's talk about Sandman. All right. Actually, I don't know if we're going to have time to get through the whole first Absolute Edition. Mm-hmm. Maybe we can touch on just a couple of stories. we got a few minutes here. Let's, let's talk about this. The Sandman. Matthew, fill us in on who the Sandman is. We're not talking about Wesley Dodd. We're yeah. talking about this Lord of the Dreams. Lord of the Dream. Dream, Morpheus, um, in this story is the personification of all dreams, all stories, all everything. He's one of seven creatures called the Elder, the Endless, rather, who sort of exist outside and to the left of reality. And he is essentially a personification of stories and storytellers and all the things that happen when you tell a story and make this stuff up. As such, he's a very meta statement that you can make if you're a writer writing a comic book story. And he looks remarkably like Robert Smith. Oh, really? Of The Cure, yeah. Yes, okay. What's really fascinating is before we meet this incarnation of of Dream, he's the only one that we know of is the Wesley Dodd from The Golden Age, this guy who would go and, and uh, fight crime and get messages in his sleep and that kind of stuff. Here, Dream is a... M- physical being but for many years he has been trapped by an occult group who has been trying to figure out a way to use his power for their own means now in that time some weird crazy they were trying to catch his sister oh that's right death Mm -hmm. the thing is in that time weird things have happened like people who were asleep when dream was captured when morpheus was captured never woke up people some people have never been able to go to sleep uh and just weird things have happened with the dream world. And so the first volume, uh, the Preludes and Nocturnes, which are the first eight issues of the series, really talk about Morpheus escaping and then trying to reclaim his, his kingdom mm-hmm. and the mystical yeah. objects. There are three magical items that he has, a helmet, a bag of sand, and what was the third one? Is it a cloak? A jewel. His ruby. Jewel. His ruby, that's right. Um, have you heard my new band, Satan Stole My Helmet? No, I have not. Those guys rock. I know, man. Um, I will say this. I never read Sandman when it first came out. And I know, Matthew, you've probably read every issue since one when it came out. Um, no, I actually read it in uh, trade paperback. Really? Okay. Was this years after, or was this like when the first vo- the first trade came when out? When the very first trade came out, I bought it. I, I bought issue one off the stands and didn't really care for it, because okay. issue one is very, very atypical mm-hmm. of the Sandman. Mm-hmm. Um, but when that first volume came out, I bought it because it heard good things, and then I bought each volume as they were available. Uh, okay. For me, it was, I waited until this Absolute Edition came out a few years ago, and 
I really got into it because of a story that we posted up on the Major Spoilers website, and I was really looking at the art and the first couple of pages of the, of the story, and I was like, this is a fascinating story. I think I really want to check this out. Everyone says nothing but good things about it. I'll go ahead and invest the 75 bucks or whatever in the Absolute Edition, because then the art is really big, and I like the big big art pages. And then now I that just, you're old and your eyes are My eyes are really bad. But then just going through the whole story, it's so gripping and engaging I think I read this when we were at the old house, so this would have been like three years ago that I that I picked this up, and I bet I read through this entire series in a day, two evenings, two evenings of reading. Mm-hmm. So it's that engrossing and that engaging. Uh, the first volume I thought was very fascinating. This whole idea of the house of mystery characters, Cain and Abel, um, Morpheus going back to his kingdom. I, I really kind of dug all of that and, and these these objects that he was trying to find. I thought were yeah. really really good. Uh, we get John Constantine uh, in yeah. here uh, in a very so. Rodrigo, what's the deal with the with his bag of of dream dust? What's more? What's the deal with that? Can you tell us why a lot of people seek this out and, and why it's so important? Well, um, to him. It's essentially like all three of those things is kind of a focus of his power. It's it's more of a like creative focus, really, rather than um, like the helmet, which is kind of a martial focus of his power. But um, the sand, when he uses it, he can just create dreams and actually kind of shape reality whole cloth. Right, right. But it has like its own magical properties. So we find that um, uh, John Constant something came came into contact with it Mm -hmm. um, and eventually lost it and he has no idea where it is and we find out that his ex-girlfriend who's a total junkie stole it right and has actually been for the past 20 years has been using the the dream dust as a drug yeah just give herself the most pleasant dreams in the universe and also shaping somewhat of the reality around her Mm -hmm. because as John and Morpheus enter her apartment. The apartment is morphing and shifting and changing as they get to her room. And then they discover the awful truth about the sand is that it turns you into a junkie and she's essentially decimated mm-hmm. because she's just been doing this stuff nonstop. Thoughts on that, Matthew? That whole first sequence and, and later on through the series, but especially in those first few issues. It has the strongest tie to the DC universe, and this mm-hmm. was the proto-Vertigo phases. You see the Justice League International appear. Mm-hmm. And you see uh, Martian Manhunter sees Morpheus as uh, the Martian god Lizoril, god right. of the dream. Right. It's that first implication that Morpheus is what you expect him to be. You see of him what he wants you to see or what, you know, what he should be to you. Yeah. I like the use of Constantine. I really like... Um, and again, I have it in the trade paperback. When we get through issue three, we have the whole sequence in hell mm-hmm. where he ends up getting his helmet back. Right. But we also have that moment where we find out that his ruby has been stolen by a supervillain. Yep. Which is just wonderful. It takes all these old stories, these stories you know, that were in comics that were kind of grotty, really, and gives them this whole new poetic depth that I just love. This is probably one of my favorite Constantine appearances ever, and for me, that's probably saying something. Really? Oh, yeah. I love the moment where he's talking about how 
this crazy girl that he used to live with, and she stole all his stuff and his Silver Surfer comics. Yeah. And he still <laughs> he still misses her sometimes. Now, that I, moment right there, that's pure Constantine. Because he's all, you know, he's trying to be all tough guy, and all of a sudden it's just this little sliver of sentimentality pops up, and then we move on. Right. You know, it that whole segment where he's talking with the embodiment of a dream, and he's just like, all right. I'm guessing it's, again, we're looking at the Absolute Edition right now, Rodrigo and I, and this one does not have, you know, what issue is which, but that diner story. Ugh. That's was, issue eight, that 24 is hours. so freaking intense. Mm-hmm. Two and, words, phenomenal. Yeah, it is, what year are we looking at here? 1989. Before yep. a lot of these crazy standoff things kind of happened, you know, in, in these kind of mm-hmm. restaurants or, or schools or those kinds of things. So this really is intense from back then. But imagine thinking about all the things that have happened since then and mm-hmm. then putting that into this story. And it takes the creep factor up a whole new notch. And I think but, at the conclusion, I said I was going to invest my time and read the first eight. And after reading that story, I was like, I'm in it for the rest of this book. Let's go yeah. diving. And I think at that moment, I went ahead and ordered... Uh, the Absolute Edition Volume 2, which had just been been announced or just been released. And yeah. uh, that story sold it for me. Mm-hmm. Now, let's take into account Dr. Destiny, Dr. Mm-hmm. D, mm-hmm. was a minor league Justice League villain who had been taken down a hundred times, a hundred different ways. Right. And to take him and put him in that setting with his goofy cape and his goofy skull face and turn him into this horrifying creature, this powerful thing that just you know comes in like a force of nature just comes in and completely throws these these people's lives ends these people's lives that to me is just amazing storytelling because there aren't dr destiny stories or weren't before this that you could look at and go wow that was great Mm -hmm. there were no wonderful dr destiny stories sure there were some that were cute some that were clever some that were nice but i mean this is just absolutely world shattering the first time i read that i was just like oh man i need a minute unbelievable story then we get into the second volume the doll's house this is Mm -hmm. where morpheus is trying to track down some of the dreams that have escaped uh during (laughs) that time and there's some go ahead brute and glob i love the fact that again it's the ties to the old comics brute and glob and the comic book, the superhero Sandman, mm-hmm. are Kirby concepts from the 1976 Sandman series that Jack Kirby did for DC. So Brood and Glob had, you know, a comic book background before this issue came out. Their first right. appearance is Sandman number one right. in 1976. So I just love that moment where it's like, oh, look, the DC universe again. <laughs> I also like the introduction of Rose as a character in this in this series. Um mm-hmm. Because she kind of plays a big role as the story goes forth. And just the fact that she, at, at the same time, is experiencing, I guess, just on the surface, the weirdness that's going on. Later, mm-hmm. she becomes a little bit more involved in it. But just mm-hmm. her kind of accepting and understanding what's going on with this house, house of weirdos and one of those weirdos playing a big role in a story that comes down the line. Mm-hmm. Um, I just Barbie. like her character. The other character that I like in the, in the second volume is really more of a bunch of um, one-shot stories almost. Mm. They kind of all have a, a thread. 
But the uh, the guy that's the immortal, uh, way back in the, what was it, 1400s or something, uh, this guy's at a bar, and he meets Morpheus, and he says, oh, if I had one wish, I'd live forever. And Morpheus says, okay, um, we're going to meet here in this same bar years. every hundred years, and we're going to have a chat. And I just love this guy's story as he goes all the way up to the 1980s and tells his story and how his life has either been good or bad, how he wishes that he may not have made that wish, but is kind of still willing to continue that throughout. Mm, And it's of all of the stories in here after that, that 24 hours, this character in the story is one of my favorites. Mm -hmm. That's one of the first stories that really shows what I consider to be the major theme of the piece is Mm -hmm. that, Morpheus has changed and is evolving, but he himself cannot believe it. And in some ways, to believe that he's changing, to accept his changes, is going to destroy who he is. And in fact, eventually does. But there's a moment where someone says to him, you've changed. He says, I doubt it. But if you read that story, his first appearance with Hob Gadling, it's a game to him. Right. He and, he and his sister are playing with the silly little mortal. And after the first three or four meetings, it gets to the point where Hobb tells him, he's like, admit it, I'm your friend. You look forward to these gatherings, and I'm your friend. Right. And he right. gets angry, and he storms away. Right. And then a hundred years later, he comes back and admits, yes, Hobb Gadling is, in fact, his friend. Mm-hmm. So, it, I mean, it's a powerful moment, and it takes it takes Hobb, just this guy, mm-hmm. and it shows us you know, a little bit about humanity and a little bit about this main character – and also, you know, it takes a concept that, you know, is in comic books forever. Immortality. Vandal Savage, one of the first supervillains ever in comics, is immortal. And it puts immortal in a perspective that's perfectly human. Mm-hmm. And it makes you think, oh, my God, I never thought about that. The moment where Hobb is like, do you know what it's like when you're starving to death, but you can't die? Yes. I think that was the one you know where he's just, like, trying to beg people for... Beg people yeah, to kill like, him even though he knows he can't die? No. Three or four hundred years in, he's like, he's begging, his life is crushed, his right. family's gone. Right. And Morpheus says, do you want to give it up? He's like, no, I've got lots to live for. <laughs> you know, it's one of those things where even at the lowest point of his life, when he had to, he nearly got thrown out coming near the place because, you know, he was such a down and out starving, you know, hooligan. It, it, he never gives up on the theory that life is worth living. Right. You know, all of these stories have their little tales and their little bits, and they have references to real storytelling. I use real in air quotes. Meow. You know, There's also some weirdness going on. I mean, the cool thing is these are not just standalone stories because these characters that are introduced, Ra, uh, Rose, and then the immortal guy and... And a lot of these other people, they play important roles later in the series. And Rose mm-hmm. comes back in this one that uh, the convention of serial killers. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. Probably one of the most off-putting stories in this volume for me. Just because of the, at first you're just, to me there's a whole hint of uh, like child molestation is what, you know, you kind of get the early indication that that's what they're trying to collect and all these kind of things. And then you realize that they're just serial killers. But at the same time, it's just... And then the fact that one of the the escaped uh, dreams is haunting, is killing the serial killers, essentially a serial killer himself. Mm -hmm. I I found that to be a very accessible story because it reminded me of comics fandom. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. 
Okay. That might have been what he was getting at. Yeah. I think that's what it is. But, I mean, it, it, these characters, all of the characters have their little life. And right. they've made their niche and they have their little thing that they do. And the, what really sells it for me is when the guy comes in pretending to be a serial killer. Right. And everybody sees through it. And the serial killers, they explain to him that they're not killing him because they're killers. They're killing him because he's not one of them and he tried to break into their secret club and these are people who are you know should be alienated psychos who have found a common thread that's all they're looking for is a connection to other people granted they're going to find that connection by chopping people up but you know if you take away the trappings of it oh yeah the the convention storyline is very cool and very it has, it's very telling about everyone right but I just think adding that creep factor to it is what bothered me the most. Uh, but yeah, I, I see what you're you're getting at now. And again, it's been almost a year since I've read this this book, so I'm kind of trying to remember some of the themes and stories that ha- took place. Rodrigo's probably read it the most recent. Mm-hmm. Did you finish the whole volume, the whole thing? Yeah. Okay. So the the final and third section of this book is Dream Country, uh, issues 17 through 20 which are four independent stories where, let's see, what do we got? We got uh, Calliope, who provides story ideas. She's a muse. Cat, that's trying to change the world with its dreams. And then another great one that I think is the Shakespeare story. And then finally we get the uh, Element Girl appearance. Urania Blackwell. Yeah. Rodrigo, thoughts on any of those final four stories? Um, I didn't care for the cat one. I think I thumbed through that one when I originally read it. The cat one was fine. I, honestly, I think that the Sandman is strongest at its most disjointed. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's always these little stories that that I personally prefer a little bit more. It's the one where you know the these two um African tribesmen go out into the desert and oh, right. you know retail the story of how uh. Their great civilization was destroyed because one of the endless kind of meddled with it, um, and that kind of thing. So I liked these things. Um, the the uh, metamorpho girl story. It's it's always jarred me that Sa- that you know this character exists in the DC universe. He really shouldn't. Well, yeah, he should have. That's... He like the endless are cool enough that they deserve their own universe. Mm-hmm. You know, in which creepy things happen. If you want to borrow Hellblazer, go for it. Right. You know, he fits. Right. Some of even some of the JSA fit. The Martian Manhunter does not. Right. Uh, it just doesn't feel right to me. Um, and I understand. You know, like when you're it's it's why you know the max and the savage dragon used to hang out you know you need that right even though they don't make sense together right um and that may be also true of the nature of vertigo when it was first started in that there really wasn't how do we you know here we've got this line of more mature books but we don't really know how to treat it in the whole universe of things until we decide to completely yeah. split it and, and here's the vertigo stuff and here's the dc stuff and never the twain shall meet again yeah. unless there's money to be made and and that's the deal is that you know they're always like well we always have to leave the door open for a crossover right and honestly neil gaiman probably couldn't help himself they were telling him okay here's the stuff it can be said in the dc universe he was like oh joy of joys he's gonna go back through all his old 
characters that he liked right and bring them all back right, right. like the old school sandman and mm-hmm. like you know brood and glum who i didn't know matthew just basically informed me of this um <laughs> apparently had previous appearances in dc comics um yep. the midsummer night's dream i liked i'm uh i'm pretty familiar with the midsummer night's dream and it's cool to see the the interpretations of the characters and what they think of William Shakespeare's interpretations right. of them. Right, right. Um, and, you know, it sets up the fact that, you know, Puck is doesn't go back to fairy world mm-hmm. and he's still kicking around somewhere. So, obviously, we'll see more of him eventually. Matthew, Will thoughts? We? Thoughts on, on these? The final I uh, I really enjoy this series on a number of levels. As just a comic book story set in the DC universe, as troubling as it may be, it's actually really amazingly quality. If you just look at it as, here is a series of comic books that also took place in the same world as the Blood Pack. But it also has that, I don't know how to describe it, where it, it just feels like it's, it's real literature. The moments where, you know, you'll see Rose and she's going through her life and Rose and her little brother meeting together and Rose going on her journey to England and, and you know, tracing her grandmother's footsteps and, all these things just feel like the—they feel like old stories, or they feel like iconic stories somehow. And mm-hmm. even though Element Girl used to be Metamorphose Girl's sidekick, and she's this green-haired superhero with mud for a foot, her story is really touching. Mm-hmm. And the point where you know you realize that she's she's done. You know, it, 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 it's not exactly tear-inducing, but it's it is a deep story. And it kind of, it's one of the first stories that I remember, the first series that I remember, that took the comic book fiction and really examined it from, you know, a literary, a historical, a mythological viewpoint. Mm -hmm. You know, if you look at Thor, Thor was never about mythology. Thor was about a big blonde man in a red cape. Thor is a superhero story up until the point that this book came out or thereabouts. And then all of a sudden they thought, well, what else can we do with these things? Mm Mm-hmm. You know, if you look at just the arc of the character through these first stories, he starts out at his very lowest. Right. He spent 70 years in a cage in someone's basement, and then he comes out and he has to build himself back up, and in so doing, shows us his universe. Right. And by the way, lots of the characters that you see here appeared other places. Mm-hmm. Eve and uh, Cain and Abel, of course, hosted their own books. Right. Um, a lot of these characters were seen before. Matthew the Raven... Mm-hmm. Do you know who Matt the Raven is? No. Do you remember Swamp Thing? Yes, but I've never read the the comics. Swamp Thing ended up marrying Abigail Cable. Mm-hmm. In early issues of Swamp Thing, under Alan Moore's pen, Abigail Cable had a crazy husband named Matt. Ah. Matt was eventually killed and brought back from the dead and had these weird psychic powers and then died again. Matt the Raven is Matthew Cable. Cool. And mm. they never tell us that. It's really subtle. At one point... Um, he's talking to Lucian, and Lucian, the storyteller, the librarian, quotes the Alan Moore story where Matt Cable dies. The night can make a man more brave, but not more sober. Matt Cable died in a drunken car crash, and now he's he's Dream's Raven. Cool. I like the fact that we took this character, who was essentially a one-note villain, well, maybe a three-note villain, and turned him into this interesting background character. There's so much here in that even L- uh, Nuala, 
who shows up all of a sudden out of nowhere, has a life of her own and a mm-hmm. depth and a dignity to her character. Even if you take, you know, Element Girl, Element Girl has dignity and it looks at her life and it looks at her dreams and it just, it kind of celebrates humanity, even green-haired superhero metamorpho humanity. And I love that. I love the fact that no matter how dark the series gets, it's always still kind of a celebration. And I'll tell you this, the character of Funland, Mm -hmm. who was, I think, a serial killer of children. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think used Disneyland to catch children. Yep. Yep. That's that's the implication. Yeah. This crazy, evil, psycho, child molesting killer. At the end of his story, when he gets his comeuppance, part of me still looks at him and goes, aww. Yeah. At the end, when when his dream overtakes him and his dream is just, you know, it's just so weird to see, to take that character and that that sordid, horrific character and to give him depth like that. It's just an amazing achievement. This book is just full of moments where you can't, I mean, I could spend hours just talking about my favorite little character bits and I still wouldn't scratch the surface. This is something that I feel like everyone needs to read. If you're a comic fan... Whether you're a historian, whether you're a fanboy, whether you're like Rodrigo and kind of, you know, just a dilettante. Eh, that was my X-Men joke. Dilettante, of course, was a member of the X-Men alongside Maggot, right? Not well, at this now, not at that time. Unless unless that's like, one of Cecilia Reyes' uh, six or seven code names that they gave her go. within she one was- issue. Yeah. If you like Batman I, and you want something totally different from Batman and sometimes even better than Batman, then you probably ought to read Sandman. When I first started reading Sandman, which was back in college, I put it down within two issues because I found it massively and unreadably pretentious. Did you find it now that you've sat down and reread the? Well, what I what I did now that I was um, <clears throat> forced to <laughs> go back through it um, was, you know, I sat down and I thought. You know, about a lot of the discussions that we've had here on the show. Right. Specifically that discussion that we keep having about the Beatles. How, yeah, you hear the Beatles and everything now, but they did it first. Right. You know, there's nothing spectacular about Citizen Kane, except that it was the first movie to do all of those things. Right. So, sitting down and saying, okay, all that horrible, stupid pretense, all that um, shallow borrowing of... uh, of myths and all that, you know, giving a character gravitas by giving it a name of another character that has already existed. This is the first time that we really saw that in comics and saw it done well. And that's why growing up reading stuff in the 90s, which is when I started reading comic books, right. that's why it seemed so overdone and over the top and unnecessary. Right. Because it was so the first familiar. time it was being done. It was the first time somebody was saying, well, I'm just going hey, to th- sprinkle a little Norse mythology on top of this and see what it looks like. And so now when I look at it, I'm like, seriously? Right. right. You know? Right. So going back through it, I have a lot more appreciation for it now than I did back then. Okay. Um, and I did enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but, you know, at times it's still really, and it's probably just because of specifically my generational cohort. Sometimes I'm just like, this is 280s for me. Yeah, there are times that it does feel that way. I, you know, I like this series, and I think a lot of other people who haven't read this, who are looking for something different, who are looking for something that's not in that superhero vein, but kind of shares that same universe, mm-hmm. 
really you should check out just the first trade paperback volume and if that doesn't do it for you then you know you've only wasted maybe eight or nine dollars uh i really enjoyed the um the absolute edition uh because of the bigger size i enjoy seeing the art uh close up i do enjoy who is that dave mckeon uh yes dave did the covers Okay, and then what is it? It wasn't Sam Keith doing all the interiors, though, was it? Some of them were Sam Dringenberg. Okay. No, there's like Sam three Keith or four artists, f- at least. Because I am not a big fan of of Sam Keith, and that's probably well, one of the there's other things some, that... I think there is some Sam Keith art in here, but there's uh, Sam... Uh, what's his name? Mike Dringenberg. Um, right. I know there's Sam some stuff MG. in there from... The problem, the, Samwise I guess, Gamgee, yeah. I guess when you look at all the artists who've worked on Samwise, there's two of two <laughs> Sandman. on Sandman. Uh, two of the artists, two artists who've worked on Sam uh, Sandman, Sam Keith and Kelly Jones, are both very distinct artists in mm-hmm. their style, yep. and they're two styles mm-hmm. that I don't like very much. Yet I can get through, and I'm now done with volume two, starting on volume three of the Absolute Edition. The story is good enough to where I can overlook those mm-hmm. my issues with the art. And enjoy the story. So, for my book, you know, a, a thumbs up. Matthew, you're giving it a big thumbs up. Oh, absolutely, Rodrigo. Um, highly recommended. Maybe recommended. Check it out. Skip it. Oh, you should definitely check it out. If nothing else, is because it's like Watchmen and like um, a couple other things that we've talked about before, where you know, Transmetropolitan, where this is one of those defining books. This is one of those books that was a big you know, rock in the river and everything had to flow around it for so long. Like the Sandman is now in everything we read comic wise and a little, right. And at least in a small way, especially so, when you get into the really trippy metaphysical, yeah. if you, yeah. if you yeah. consider yourself, you know, a comics historian or, you know, if you just enjoy knowing, you know, getting that history, then you have to read Sandman, at least the right. first volume. So you know what the crowd they're talking about. And I'll actually recommend, um, a book called The Little Endless Book, I think is what it is, which is a children's story featuring the Endless family. Really? It's it was my first introduction to the Endless. Cool. Now I had I had seen Sandman kicking around before, although that may have just been the guy from the cure and I got him right, confused. Right, right, right. Um but there's this thing called and I think it's called the Little Endless Storybook, in which Delirium is running around uh-huh. and essentially she meets each one of the Endless and you know they talk and you know it's, it's a children's book and it's amazing cool all right well check that out absolute sandman volume one we hope you've enjoyed kind of this uh, first first uh feast first serving of the major spoilers podcast for your thanksgiving holiday weekend Mm-mm-mm. it's a little much Yum in it. this dose which is fine but that's, stick that's around. how thanksgiving always goes i know because you are going to want to stick around for saturday show because it's all about pie mm. no Pie. All right, so that don't, wraps don't it up. Don't tell them that, because then it's not going to be about pie, and they're going to be upset. <laughs> All right, that wraps it up for this issue. Thank you so much for listening and being part of the Major Spoilers experience. Next week, we're going to be taking a look at Sin City, because we know that you love pulpy noir violence and naked ladies, and we do too. If you have any questions, comments, topic ideas for future shows, or would like to sponsor a show, send an email to podcast at majorspoilers.com. Visit Majorspoilers at Majorspoilers.com and be sure to check out the Major Spoilers forum. You can also follow Major Spoilers on Twitter at Twitter.com slash Majorspoilers and on MySpace at MySpace.com slash Majorspoilers.
Fat Dick's revision of Superman. I could save a few bucks and stand around and read through the covers of the comics on the stand. But although every other page would be backwards, I suppose, I could still read the evens and the odds. Well, I don't know. Guess I haven't thought this all the way through. Plus, as soon as the comic book store guy knew, he kicked my butt out on the corner. What a major spoiler. What a major spoiler. Way. If I was hulking green or gray, I could just bust through that brick wall, take their comic books away. But then the little meat would deal with all the tanks and bombs and guns. Have you ever tried to read a series with all that going on? Guess I need to rethink this plan. How would I back and board my comics with such huge hands? Guess I already told ya. What a major spoiler. What a major spoiler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What a major spoiler What a major spoiler Start raving rich like a man of iron Might not be surprised to find That I might actually have the hard cold To follow an entire storyline But would I really even need To read up on all those escapades I mean, who needs such distractions When your sister's such a babe But the downside is such a beast Being shot up in a fun Me in the Middle East With a gang sign throwing soldier What a major spoiler What a major spoiler Yeah, yeah, yeah what a major spoiler, wow, 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 what a major spoiler. Major Spoilers Podcast, copyright 2009.